0: I'm your host, Matt Bergman, and today my guest is Quincy native, Linda Moore. Linda is a 1981 graduate of Quincy University and uh, served recently on our board of trustees for nine years. Linda is currently serving as the city of Quincy Treasurer, and in today's episode, we're going to ask Linda to share with us her successes in the business world and talk a little bit about her philanthropic efforts. So, Linda, thank you for joining us today.
1: Thank you. It's great to be here.
0: So after graduating from QU, you actually began a career in higher education. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
1: My senior year at QU, we had a course called Senior Seminar. And about halfway through that course, uh, we had a team experience that I realized I didn't know if I wanted to be part of big business at all. So I went to Rick Smith, who was the director of admissions at the time, and I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. I'm graduating in two months he suggested college admissions. So I actually credit Rick Smith with getting me started in higher education. My first job was at McMurray College in Jacksonville, Illinois. I later went to Culver Stockton over in Kent, Missouri, for four years. After that, I kind of got tired of the holiday in green and the Ramada in red of southern Missouri, <laughs> and I ended up in St. Louis uh, recruiting the St. Louis Territory From there, I went into graduate admissions for the U.S. Sports Academy, where I was getting my master's degree at the time, and ended up in graduate recruitment for a few years before I went into special event management.
0: So you spent some time in event management, and then in 1996, you made a career change. You went to ESPN, and uh, we were just talking before we started that that's kind of uh, your Your claim to fame around here. Everybody knows you as the lady that worked at ESPN. So um, tell us how you jumped into that world.
1: Well, I had been doing Olympic events for several different entities, the Olympic Committee and and a lot of the national governing bodies. I was also serving on the St. Louis Sports Commission at the time and uh, worked at the U.S. Olympic Festival in 1994 in St. Louis, which for many St. Louisans, that was their version of the Olympics. A lot of the Olympic athletes that we saw in the 2000 and 2004 Olympics actually got started in 1994 at the Olympic Festival. So I worked in St. Louis at that festival, then went to Denver for the Olympic Festival, and finally on to Atlanta for the 96 Olympics. And after doing the Olympics, as a sports enthusiast, what do you do? So uh, I had a friend who had gone to ESPN to start the Extreme Games. And when I finished my stint in Atlanta, he called and said, I've got a job for you. It's probably beneath you, but do you want to move to San Diego for a couple of years until you find a real job? (laughs) So I figured, two years on the beach, why not? Uh, So I packed up, moved cross-country to San Diego with the Extreme Games. At that point, we changed it to the X Games. And I started um, as the mom of the athletes. I managed their housing, their transportation, uh, their prize money distribution, registration, hospitality, catering, things like that. But eventually, I became the one on our staff who could talk finance with the corporate executives. I could talk human resources with human resources executive. So I grew my way up Uh, to being the senior director of business operations for the X Games franchise, then for original entertainment unit, um, then had a stint with ESPN Enterprises, which was ESPN the Magazine, and ESPN Consumer Products, and ended up taking on all the non-production entities uh, and overseeing their legal, their risk management, budgeting, finance, human resources, uh, so it really grew to be a great job, and I got involved on the ground floor of so many really cool properties. ESPN Films, uh, ESPN's Thirty for Thirty series was started. E60, uh, pardon the interruption. Around the Horn, the ESPY Awards, the ESPN National Golf Challenge. So a lot of those properties that have really taken off and become major parts of the ESPN portfolio.
0: Wow. That had to be a real exciting time. It was
1: a wonderful job. I've had great luck in my career. You know, first of all, at the Atlanta Olympics, I was at Mission Control, where I got to see every minute of every competition at every venue. I'd work 36 hours on, eight hours off. 36 hours on, eight hours off. So uh, Mountain Dew and chocolate kept me going. (laughs) Uh, After that, though, you know, that was like the pinnacle of what I ever wanted to do. So then when I went to ESPN uh, and ended up at the mothership in Bristol, Connecticut, that too was like, what do you do after that? You know, that was the ultimate. Um, so about oh 2005, I guess, I started my 10-year and out plan. And I had planned that by the time I was 55, I wanted to be able to retire, come back to Quincy, maybe teach at Quincy University, maybe do other things in the community, and it all worked out.
0: Well, and, and we're glad you, you ended up back in your hometown uh, because you've been a, an integral part of Quincy University, but you've also helped the city of Quincy, and you now are a, a city official as our city treasurer here in town. So what kind of led to that decision to move into the that game?
1: Back in 2012, I had an executive mentor at ESPN who... Uh, actually helped me look outside the company in terms of what might be next for me, especially once I did retire. So she encouraged me to apply to the Yale Law School to the Women's Campaign School, which is a week-long intensive uh, political leadership seminar for a week. I applied. I was accepted. So I went to that. And during that week, I met 75 other women who were very political. And at the time, I would have considered myself pretty apolitical. There were Democrats, there were Republicans, there were independents, there were internationals, and all of them worked so well together. And it was really inspiring to see that, you know, the conflict, especially the conflict we see today between Republicans and Democrats, Trump supporters and non-Trump supporters, uh, it's just ugliness. But that week, I saw people cooperating, despite their differences. So I was inspired to consider politics as a career. And when I came home, a few people had talked to me about potentially running for mayor. And I considered it, but it just didn't seem right for me. So when Peggy Krim announced her retirement, Chuck Schultz came to me and said, hey, we need somebody to be the city treasurer, would you be interested? And because of my finance background at ESPN, it just kind of made sense. I thought it was a good way for me to see what politics at the city level was all about and to make a decision then based on the inside rather than the outside looking in.
0: Well, let's take a a brief break. When we come back, we're going to talk with Linda about uh, some of her philanthropic efforts around the area. If you're listening to From the Hawk's Nest, we'll be right back.
1: The Quincy University Academic Symposium is a showcase for student achievement across our liberal arts curriculum. Each spring, student presenters engage in professional performance and discourse with experts in their field of study, as well as the greater community to disseminate their work. The symposium provides a public forum for academic competition with prizes awarded to a student and their faculty mentor from each department, including graduate studies programs. Visit www.quincy.edu slash academic symposium slash to learn more about this exciting event.
0: Welcome back to From the Hawk's Nest. I'm Matt Bergman. And today we're chatting with Linda Moore, a 1981 graduate of Quincy University. And we're going to switch gears now and talk about some of Linda's philanthropic efforts. And Linda, let's start with why is it important for you to give back?
1: I think there are so many people throughout my life who have given so much to me. Giving back or paying it forward is the least I can do. The other aspect is, I guess, you can't take it with you. (laughs) (laughs) So you might as well give it to somebody and see the benefits of your giving now. And the more we can support other people, I just think it's a good thing to do. And as I said, throughout my career, I had people who helped me along the way. And I want to pay it forward. One of, my coworkers, co- one of my coworkers at ESPN once described me by a picture of a woman climbing a ladder with one hand up, pulling herself up, and another hand down, helping somebody else up. And that picture has always stayed with me. If I can help somebody else achieve their dreams, to me, that's self-fulfillment and that's self-satisfaction.
0: Wonderful. And to that end, you established a scholarship for women at QU. Can you tell me a little bit about why you chose to do that? As
1: I was about to retire from ESPN and implementing, you know, my tenure and out plan, I actually started a business um, as an executive consultant with Rodan and Fields Skincare, And I decided that the first year of that business... All of my proceeds were going to go into this scholarship because I wanted to give other women, number one, the opportunity to go to college, number two, the opportunity to graduate from college, and number three, realize that whatever their dream is, they can achieve. If they put their mind to it and a little bit of elbow grease, they can get there.
0: QU has obviously been blessed greatly by your generous support uh, and loyalty to your alma mater. What is it that you love about QU? And keep in mind, we, you know, we're going to have to keep this you know, to under an hour.
1: <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Well, when I was a student at QU, you know, I kind of ended up at QU by default. I was high school valedictorian. I had gone to all these colleges that had offered me scholarships to take a campus visit, but none of them clicked with me. So I kind of said, well, I might as well just stay at home and and go to QU, and then maybe I'll figure out what I want to do the rest of my life. Well, I quickly made friends, not just among my fellow students, but also the faculty and staff. And there were so many people that cared about me and cared about my success. And that's always stuck with me. You know, the Franciscan friars will always hold a special place in my heart uh, from father Gabriel Brinkman playing, you know, goalkeeper against the first women's soccer team when we were just a club team um, to, you know, um, all of the priests, you know, father um, John doctor had left for a couple years and then come back. So he was here and I just think, you know, F- father Zimmerman was here and, um, Tom Brown, Father Victor Kingery, you know, all these priests, you know, these Franciscans were just so generous with their time and so caring of all the students uh, that I think they've created a very special place and a unique culture that can't be replicated elsewhere. So QU will always be a special place for me, you know, and there were non- Franciscans as well. Frank Longo hired me to keep stats at the Christmas basketball tournament, and that was probably the one thing that catapulted me into my career. So, you know, Frank Longo will always be very special. Jack McKenzie, you know, those guys were so supportive in us starting a women's soccer program back in 1979, I guess it was. Um, So the people at QU are so very special, and even today – Everybody here from top to bottom, they really care about their students. They care about them as people, and they want to see them succeed.
0: So if I asked you your favorite QU memory, do you think you could give us your one, maybe two, favorite things about QU?
1: Well, my class, the class of 81, we had to be different. You know, and back then there was a big tradition to have the hundred days till graduation party where the seniors would go into the cafeteria and we'd start a food fight with the freshmen and then we'd duck out of the way and the freshmen would get in trouble, you know, and we were told that was kind of the tradition, but our class, you know, we had to be different. So we started the hundred days till champagne brunch (laughs) event. The only rules were that the girls had to wear hose and heels The guys had to wear a tie. Those were the only rules. And it was a big kegger back in the day. We had rat races, and I think some rats had mysteriously disappeared from the biology labs that night, but I I can't confirm that. (laughs) Uh, And you could bet on the rat races. So it was just a fun night, and it was a fun tradition. And it was even though it was a party, it was really all about the people. You know, so those were fun memories. Uh, Of course, playing soccer against the faculty and staff in our very first women's soccer game, that was a fun memory. Um, And even just some of the class discussions, you know, um, I remember a few of them 40 years later. So a lot of special memories.
0: I uh, I'll have to ask our student producer to uh, close his ears on that first, uh, first couple there. So, so we don't repeat any of those in our current semester. So um, I'm
1: sure our current students do not no. partake in alcoholic beverages. Back then, the drinking age was 19.
0: Oh. So it was legal. Okay. <laughs> Disclaimer. <laughs> well, Linda, we, we certainly are grateful for you and for all that you do for QU and its students uh, in, in, in every way. And thank you for being our guest here today. Be sure to turn in next time for another episode of From the Hawk's Nest, where we talk with students, faculty, staff, and alumni about their journeys. I'm Matt Bergman, and it's always a great day to be a Hawk.